thanks because you're God and we're not. Lord, uh, when life gets overwhelming and hard, Lord, just as that song said, you go before us. And even before we knew it, you brought us victory. And, and when we were lost, you found us before we even knew we were lost. Father, we, we are needy people. We need you, even when we don't know it. And Father, even when we went astray, you made a way for us to come back. And Lord, this, this series we're getting ready to start in the book of Ezra is about you reclaiming us as your people and making that pathway straight for us to return. So Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would fall in this place today as we uh, take a look at this book, Father, that that just as it moved the heart of Cyrus and it moved the heart of, of the people, Lord, that it would move our heart as well. Because your mercy and your love is great for us. So, Father, I just pray that you'd let your Holy Spirit fall on us today. I pray that it would permeate and pierce through any distraction. That, Lord, that you would speak to us directly, straight to our hearts. And, Father, for, for those who seem like they're in exile and so far off that they can't ever find their way back, Lord, I pray that you would guide them, that they might return. Father, in all this, one thing we desire more than anything else, that you, you and, and you alone are glorified in us, to us, and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. First and foremost, I would like to thank you for all the love and, and prayers that you have bestowed upon my family and as we have uh, experienced the loss of my brother, Donnie. Uh, we'll be having his funeral later on this afternoon, so I'd ask you and covet your prayers for us, that he would give us strength, and, and Father, that, that many in the family who don't know you as well as they should would see this and view and, and start to, to, to take into account their own mortality and where they might spend eternity at. But one thing I know for certain and for sure is even though my brother suffered for a little while, he's now been healed. He's been healed. And the hurting's been passed on to us just for a little while. But soon, very soon, our grief will be turned to glory. Amen. We'll trade our ashes for beauty. And that I am confident of. Uh, also, as a shameless plug here, <laughs> I don't. I didn't get here in time for the the announcements. But uh, uh, let's see, next, I guess it'd be next Saturday, April thirtieth. Uh, many of you have may have been reading on Facebook and have known that I have a little great niece. Her name is Evie Lou, Evie Lou Hand. Uh, my my brother Scott's stepdaughter 
Sarah and her husband Jonathan had this little girl who was born with a heart defect. And uh, she spent the last, the first year of her life in a hospital. And, and they did surgery on her and had open heart just as soon as after she was born. And uh, it required a heart transplant for her. And uh, praise be to the Lord, uh, he, she was able to come home for her first birthday. So she left Riley's for the first time and was home for her first day, first birthday. But uh, as you can imagine, being a, a year in the hospital with all the expenses that were incurred, so they're having a fundraiser, and it's through the Children's Organ Transplant Association, and they really went above and beyond to help Abby Lou and her family during their time. And uh, they're going to have a, an inaugural, which I mean they're going to do it every year, I, I guess, an Abby Lou mo motorcycle and Jeep poker run. And it starts April 30th, registration's at 9 a.m. and departing at 10 a.m. And it's going to start at the Highway 57 and US 50 Chuckle Station, I guess a truck stop. And they're going to make a stop in Shoals, French Lick. They're going to have a lunch break at Benny's Off the Water at Patoka Lake. And they're going to stop in Jasper and Petersburg on the way home. And they're going to end at Christ United Methodist Church for a meal here in Washington. Uh, it says here that entry fees $25 and $10 per rider. So I know there's a lot of folks here that have Jeeps and a lot of folks have motorcycles. And if that's something that you would enjoy doing, uh, I'm going to leave this back there on the back table so you can take a look at it and get more information. Because I don't know, I've never been on a motorcycle or a Jeep run, so I don't know what any of that is. But uh, I do know that my little beloved great-niece, Abby Lou, is just, she's just a diamond. She is sparkles, her eyes just light up, and, and she's, she's just a beautiful little girl. And I thank God that he has maintained and gave her life today. So as we get all that out of the way and we're getting ready to, as Jenna had spoken, we're starting a new series. It's called Reclaim. It's in the book of Ezra. And this series looks at what God did for the Jewish people in the book, in that book of Ezra. And it says through their failures, they're forgetting what was important and the sin in their lives, they became exiles. God, anger burned against them. And in our own lives, we also have turned astray and, and done things. So this is why it's so important. This, this account is not just an, a historical narrative of the events that took place to the Jewish people, but it's also a, uh, a life application teaching that we can use in our own lives and apply it to us. Uh, so it's, it's very important, you know, that we, we understand and know the history. And I love the biblical history of this and how all these, these uh, people in the Bible have, have uh, intertwined, as you might think, and how prophecy works together with other prophecy to fulfill what God has planned for his people. And we know through biblical history uh, that, that, that God's people have, have uh, just had this, it seems like it's a cycle, you know, that, that they... That God restores them and redeems them. He brings them out of Egypt and they grumble because they don't like what they're getting fed and, and they, they wander in the desert, you know, and then and, and all this stuff happens to them and then they come back or they've been humbled by God. His anger burns against them for a little while and then he has, uh, he has a, or his love, he says that he won't keep, keep his anger forever and then he 
and he brings them back, and they, they've been humble, so they cry out to the Lord, and he restores them, and the cycle just keeps continuing, it seems like, and from what I can read in the Bible, and it continues today for us, you know, and uh, in Isaiah 57, uh, chapter 57, verses 16 through 18, it says, I will not accuse them forever, nor I will always be angry, for then they would faint away because of me, the very people that I've created. I was enraged by their sinful greed, and I punished them, and I hid my face in anger. Yet they kept on in their willful ways. Willful ways. I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them, restore them to comfort, restore comfort to those Israel of Israel's mourners, creating praise on their lips. So we see that's God's heart, and that's out of Isaiah, and we see that happening. And in Isaiah 53, it says that. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus for those who have gone astray. We've gone astray. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen? We've all gone away. So that kind of sets the stage of what this series is about, is God reclaiming us as his people, and we reclaiming him as our God because we have placed other things and idols in the place where God should have been reigning supreme. Amen. It may have been um, a hobby. It could have been a, a career. could have been a person. But God wants to have his rightful place in our hearts, in our lives as God and God alone. Amen. So we look at Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. So we see that in the very first year, in the first year of Cyrus, and uh, the first year of Cyrus was 538 B.C., and it was about 48 years or so after Jerusalem was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And in, in Jeremiah 25, verses 8 through 14, I'm just going to read it to you real quick. It says, There the Lord Almighty says this, Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north, and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of the bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nations and the land of the Babylonians for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it a, a, make it a desolate forever. I will bring upon that land all the things that I have spoken against it and all that are written in this book and prophesied by Jeremiah against all the nations. They themselves will be enslaved by many nations and great kings. I will repay them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. So we know the story of, of, of Nebuchadnezzar too, don't we, in the book of Daniel. So we, we can go there, and I think I got it marked. 
and see what it says about that. After uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar uh, passed away, his son Belshazzar took over the, the kingdom. And it says in chapter 5 that King Belshazzar gave a banquet, great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. And while Belshazzar was drinking with his, his, his wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that, that he and his nobles and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought out the goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles and wives and his concubines drank from them. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. You reckon that might have made God a little angry? Because what happened next, it says in the scriptures that it, it made Belshazzar's face just turned pale and his knees started knocking. He was in such fear. He saw a finger come down and start writing on the wall. But he didn't understand what the writing was and all of his, his fortune tellers and all of his diviners and, and everybody could not interpret it. But the queen remembered Daniel and how Daniel would interpret the dreams the king had. So they called for Daniel and he came and... and uh, and, the, and Belshazzar said that he would give whoever could interpret this dream a purple robe and put a gold necklace around his neck and give him a third highest position in all the kingdom. And if you look down in verse 17 of Daniel 5, it says this, And then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourselves and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. O king, the most high God your, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar Sovereignty and sovereignty, sovereignty and greatness, and his glory and glory and splendor, because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and nations of men, every language, dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride. He was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and he ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged the Most High God who is sovereign over kingdoms of men and, over them, and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you... His son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you gave your, set yourself up against the Lord of heaven, and you had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze, wood and, iron, and stone, which cannot see or nor hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hands your life. And all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription, and this is what the inscription has was that was. This is the inscription that was written: "Mini, mini, tekel, harsin." This is what these words mean: "Mini, God has numbered your days and brought it to an end." Tekel, 
you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Therese, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at this, then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple and a gold chain placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. In verse 30, it says this, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So when it was very shortly after that, that that we see Cyrus takes over the kingdoms. The Medes and the Persians came together, and, and, and Cyrus was, as it says in, in the scripture, Ezra 1.1, the king of Persia. And it says all this happened, that this proclamation that he's making has happened to fulfill the Lord spoken to Jeremiah. And to make that happen, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus. Now, Cyrus was not a man after the Jewish God's heart. And if you kind of look through the scriptures, you can kind of ascertain that a little bit because he doesn't say the Lord my God, does he? He goes on down there and, and he makes this pro proclamation and he puts it in writing and he, and he, I'm just going to read it here. And this is what the Cyrus king of Persia says. The Lord of the God of heaven, the God of heaven, not my God, has given me all the kingdoms of earth and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judea, in Judah. Any of his, any one of his people among you, may his God, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in heaven. So it doesn't appear to me anyway that Cyrus was uh, serving the living God. As a matter of fact, he probably served many different gods, just like his father, or the, this, just like the, the previous kings before, that, that this was more about uh, uh, he knew the scriptures, he had been read the scriptures, and, and I think even Isaiah had, had named him in person about the prophecies that would be fulfilled. And I believe that after seeing what happened to to uh, to Belshazzar, I imagine he wanted to see these prophecies fulfilled, and him not being undertaken under the same fate that happened to uh, to his predecessor. So anyway, he's he's not only made this proclamation, not by just a word of mouth, but he's put it in writing. He sent it out to all the kingdoms, and he's and he's asking for anybody who is uh, who's the, the of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that would come and, and uh, go to the, back to Jerusalem and to, to rebuild this temple. And it goes on here to say that uh, anyone of his people among you, may his God be with him and let him go to Jerusalem and Judah and build our temple, build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And the people of any place where survivors may now be living are to provide him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. You know, when we look back at the historical records of what took place here, and, and the northern kingdom fell to the Babylonians in around 722 B.C., I think it was. Well, we see that in the first year of Cyrus, which would have been 538 B.C., it was about 184 years had, had transpired between the time the, the northern kingdom fell, and then the southern kingdom fell 
uh, 48 years before this, and and now 184 years is, has passed, and and Cyrus is the king, and he's wanting to fulfill prophecy and have uh, all the the items that was taken. We're going to see that back to Jerusalem to start rebuilding this temple. You would think that the Jewish people would have been excited about that, wouldn't you? How many tribes were in Israel? Well, if you look in verse 5, it says, Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites and everyone whose heart God had moved prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Two tribes out of 12. Well, why would that be? Well, because of the time lapse. Can you, you can imagine, you know, I think it's been said, and I've heard it, I've read it somewhere that, that I think it was Ronald Reagan that said it, that liberty and freedom is just one generation from being extinct. Well, 184 years, how many generations of Israelites had passed? They probably didn't even realize, some of them, that they had, they, they, all they had ever known was exile, living in a foreign land. They, they called, they, that was the only home that they knew. They didn't, probably didn't have a lot of the customs and traditions and the historical stories handed down to them. Maybe their, their predecessors had intermarried with the, the pagan uh, people of, 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 of Babylon and Persia and had taken on their customs and their rituals. Many of them were able to, to, to hold down jobs and create businesses and were merchants. Some of them were pretty wealthy. And to be able to have that proclamation come out and say, okay, to anybody whose heart's been moved, you can go to Jerusalem and, and, and start rebuilding the, the temple. Well, that's a pretty good piece of way and they would have to leave everything that they had built in, in, in this foreign land. They didn't, some of them probably didn't even know if they were Jewish or not any longer. Well, how does that fit into our life application? Well, as I look across this room, my heart's gladdened because I see a lot of people God's reclaimed from, from being in exile and bondage from addictions. God called them back home. And he's restored them. Some of these folks, their whole identity was in their lifestyles and the things that they, the only things that they knew. And they didn't even know how to return home. But God, he moved the hearts of the people and they began slowly going back home. And I want you to know something, folks. If you're here today and maybe you're still in exile and in bondage, maybe you, as it says in Isaiah 57, we like sheep have all gone astray. We've lost our way. We've been in that bondage. And we didn't even know how we could get home. We don't even know who we are anymore. But God knows who you are. And I hope he's calling to you today to come back because he wants to restore you. He wants to reclaim you as his own. And yes, sometimes going back is hard. 
because you have to give up everything that you've ever known. Your identity isn't in what you do or who you're around. Your identity is in what God has created you to be. He's given you gifts and talents to be used for his kingdom. You may not think you have anything to offer. For many years, I didn't think I had any gifts and talents to offer my God either because I was in exile. Not 70 years, but a good 25 or 30 until he called me home. So he's, he's called everyone whose heart had been moved to, to prepare to go to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And it says that all their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts in addition to the free will offering. Because there's a whole lot of folks that are like that too, right? We have a lot of folks who hear about this great undertaking that's getting ready to take place. And it's a whole lot easier to throw money at it than to get involved, isn't it? A whole lot easier to throw money at it than to get involved. But God wants, he's created us with plans or with, with gifts and talents to be used with other people to get his purposes accomplished. He needs all of us. We work best when we work together. Unity of the body, amen? That's what we see happening here. And there's some folks that just, they wanted to help some way, so that's the way they helped. You know, there were people that went to Jerusalem that were, were like Shorty and Virgil and different ones. They were builders, amen? Jeff, you know all about building right now too, right? <laughs> A lot of them were construction workers, builders. They knew how to do that thing. But there were others that were people that were good with logistics and supply. There were others who maybe prepared food or, or, or uh, sewed the, the purple fabric for, or the linen for the temple curtains. A lot of different things. God uses us all. He needs us all with one common goal and one common thing in mind, and that is to, to come back and rebuild what had been stolen and broken. I think it's in, in Joel, isn't it, where it says, God will restore what the locusts have eaten. God is in the restoration and reclamation business, guys. I, I, I plead with you never to think that you're so far away from God that he can't bring you back because that's not the case. And we see this happening. We see God drawing his people back. God not only moved the heart of the Israelite peoples and the tribes of Benjamin and Judah, but he moved the heart of a, of, of, a, of a king that didn't worship him, but he wanted to, to fulfill the prophecies. We also see that, uh, that not only did the people give free will offerings and valuable gifts of gold and silver and, and livestock and everything else, but Cyrus himself brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem. <laughs> Wouldn't you, though, if you knew the history of those items and that, that Belshazzar had just brought them out and, and, and arrogantly and, and, and boasting about you know, where they came from, knowing where they came from, and used them in a drunken party and what happened to him afterwards? Would you want to make sure that you didn't even have them in your possession any longer? <laughs> yeah, you want to talk about the fear of the Lord? Right here, baby. 
That'd be, that'd be the first thing I'd want to do. I'd want to get that back in the Lord's hands, amen, where it belonged. So he, uh, he gave the, them uh, the articles of the temple back to uh, a, a guy by the name of, here, where is it? Uh, Shezbazar. Shezbazar. That's a, probably, uh, probably a, a, a Persian name or, or a Babylonian name that they gave him because we see in the scriptures that, that uh, Shezbazar was, it says here, that was probably a Babylonian name for Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. He was uh, one of the Jewish leader, leaders during that first return. So, but in, 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 this, uh, in Ezra's account here, he's calling him uh, Sheshbazar, which is Prince of Judah. And it tells you what the inventory was. And, and it goes down the line there of how many gold dishes and silver dishes, uh, 30 gold dishes, 1,000 silver dishes, uh, 29 silver pans, 30 gold bowls, matching silver bowls were 410, other articles were 1,000. And all the different articles, it all totaled up to 5,400 articles of gold and silver that, that uh, Shez Bazaar brought all, along with the ex exiles that, that went up to, from Babylon to Jerusalem. So we see all these things taking place. But the thing that I need for you to understand and, and really grasp here that all this happened for one reason, because God moved the hearts of people. God moved the hearts of people. So I'm asking you today, as we get ready to prepare for a communion, what's God moving your heart to do? Is he calling you back home? Maybe you've been astrayed, straight away from him and, and in exile and you really felt like there was no way that you could come home. I feel you because I was there. I've been there. I didn't think that I could even look the people in my home church's name, their, my, their faces when I, when I walked away. But that was just a lie straight from the devil. Because I remember the first time in some like 20 years that I walked back into to the Assembly of God. Jeff, Jeff was the pastor there, and I believe it was a Mother's Day service. And we were having a, having a breakfast for the ladies and the men were cooking. And Satan had lied to me and told me that there was no way that those people would ever accept me back again. And that morning, because my mama had asked me to come to church with her, uh, we were there. And I remember Denny Baker and I, we were baking biscuits back there. <laughs> and I know that God moved the heart of Denny Baker because out of the nowhere, Denny just stopped. He was, as he was pulling a pan of biscuits out of the oven, he just stopped and he had that biscuit, those pan of biscuits in his hand, and he turned around and looked at me. And he said this, Brad, it feels like you just never left. It feels like you never left. And that day I knew that I believed the lie for 25 years. But God restored me and he reclaimed me as his own. Just like that prodigal son.
he ran to me. He wrapped his arms around me. And he showed me how much he loved me. And I don't ever want to look back. I never want to stray again. I want to stay in the arms of the Lord. And if you're here and you you want that for yourselves, and God's moving you and calling you, the invitation's open. Please come. God wants to restore you. He wants to reclaim you as his own son or daughter. I will be glad to pray with you. Jeff's here. We have a lot of people that would love to pray with you. And if you don't feel comfortable coming up here, just raise your hands and the people around you will surround you with love because they did me. They will pray for you. But come home. Come home. God loves you more than you can even ask or imagine. His love for you has always been there, even when you didn't feel it. My favorite scripture, and I'm going to leave it with you with this. It comes out of Romans 8, 38 and 39. Paul wrote this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither the angels nor the demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can ever separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you. No matter what you've done, God loves you and he sent his son that you might have life and you might be restored as a child of God. So as we prepare to take our offering or our, our communion today, let God move your heart to move towards him because he's waiting. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you today and we give you thanks that we can be reclaimed, that you're waiting to restore us. You're moving in our hearts today, even as we sit here. So, Lord, I just ask you, if there's one here today who feels like they've been in exile, Lord, I pray that you would move their heart to make their way to come home. Because you're not far off. You're right here. You love us when we can't even love ourselves. they would make their way, set their face towards home, and be reclaimed today. And I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Four corners of the room. The elements that represent the body and the blood of Jesus are here. Come to the table of grace. The invitation's open. Just to...